And it's good afternoon to David Tabret, our pet vet today. And what is our special subject? Hi, Jane. Um, August is Pet Dental Month, so I thought we might get a head start and we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that today. Teeth, teeth, teeth. And Danny Boss, here too? Yes, we'll be talking to um, Dr Kelly Hicks, Jane, and uh, she'll be talking to us about feline nutrition and how do we choose from all the different brands and varieties of, of, of cat food out there, how do we choose what is going to be good for our cat? And good for their teeth mm, too, no and doubt. And good for their teeth. This is Pet Chat and David, Dr David Tabret, teeth. Jane, yes, we've all got teeth. <laughs> some so he- about pets some, maybe? Some healthier than others and just like us uh, who should pay good attention to our oral health, so should our pets. And it's a, a long-standing thing. Look, August has been designated Pet Dental Month, has been for quite a few years now, and it's a great time to focus on that part of the body, an annual checkup for your pets. A lot of veterinary clinics would actually be looking at uh, getting pets in and just giving them a checkup. You can do this yourself at home, and the simple thing is we call it flip the lip. So what you actually do is you lift the lip up on each side and have a look, and what you're looking for is that the, the gum should be uh, not too um, thick and sitting flat against the tooth. Sometimes you'll see areas where it's puffy or red. It should be a nice, healthy, even pink. And sometimes the first sign of disease is actually a red line, and that's a sign of gingivitis. Now, dental disease can occur prior to that appearing, but you may not see it. So we focus on prevention, and that's things like uh, re- well, regular checkups for one, but also uh, foods and that are going to be helpful to keep the teeth clean. And we often talk with people about uh, feeding various things to help keep their teeth, uh, dogs and cats as well, to keep their teeth clean. Things like raw meaty bones can be useful, although sometimes they can carry some risks as well. The thing I like is that if you get, you know your lamb shanks and things like that, when you go to the butcher, if you're going to do this, First of all, never, 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 never cut bones and never cooked bones. But what you want to do is you want to have all those little bits of sinew and things along the bone. And what the dog does is they get there and they they chew them and they start to feather up and they act like a brush. So that can be useful as well. Uh, But again, be careful because some dogs are, are certainly not going to tolerate bones. People ask me about chicken wings and chicken necks for cats. Some cats, that's fine. Some, not so good. They'll... I've seen all sorts of problems where they get choking and stuff. But so does that de- depend on the individual cat or the breed? Yes. Uh, no, not so much the breed, but certainly individual cats. And I think what we tend to do there is we want to go towards maybe using a commercial product. I mean, look, we some people have a bit of resistance to that, but we're not running around with um, chewing up bits of uh, branch to brush our teeth, okay? We know that the healthy thing is to have a proper toothbrush. You can do that for your pet. It's sometimes technically a little bit difficult and certainly you would have to train them to be able to do that. And there's pet toothpaste because um, they can't use human toothpaste for two reasons. One is that they will swallow the uh, toothpaste and it can cause tummy upsets. And two is it's it's spiced up for human taste, like peppermint and stuff. And dogs actually prefer things like beef and chicken and cow poo flavoured toothpaste. What, the cow poo flavour? No, no, the beef toothpaste. The beef Of chicken. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks, David. That, that, might explain, that might explain something. Sit over there a bit further, will you? <laughs> so, 
Um, but you can use that. Uh, the other thing is that um, you can also get different types of foods, uh, and again, talking commercial, that are actually got a higher fibre content that it will help help to clean the teeth as well. But ultimately, uh, all all pets are going to need their teeth checked. And when they progress to the stage where you can see uh, a red line, that's the earliest stage you've got onto it. Okay, it's what we call a stage one, or actually almost a stage two mouth. And the care that's needed for those dogs and cats is a lot easier than if they get to stage four, which is the where they've got bone infection, tooth loss, and things like that. Interestingly, they've looked at studies going way back into uh, you know paleontology and fossils and so, and uh, ancient uh, wild dogs had dental disease. It, it it's not a feature of uh, modern life. It's actually a feature of being a dog and eating. <laughs> And not not cleaning, but of course our pets live a lot longer. We we want to have them in the house, and you want them to have a nice fresh breath, and you know things like that. So keep your pet healthy. And uh, over the next uh, four or five weeks, we're going to talk a bit more about dental health. This is Pet Chat. Danny Boss, a special guest. Yes, Jane. We've got Dr. Kelly Hooks, who's a veterinarian, but also a spokesperson for Advanced Dog and Cat Food. And Advance is a, a popular brand, Australian made, which is great. But um, what I wanted to talk to her about was the different varieties of cat food out there, and what's the difference, and what is important for feline nutrition. Now, now, thanks for joining us on the show today, Kelly. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, look, we've got. Cat food galore, or even dog food galore, but today's about cat. There's cat food that gets sold in supermarkets. There's cat food that gets sold in pet stores. And there's, you know, your cheaper quality, your dearer quality. And then there's so many different varieties in each of the brands and ranges. And then there's wet cat food and dry cat food. So there's so much to talk about on this topic. There's even prescription cat food that's prescribed by vets. So my first question to you is, why feed a wet Uh, and a dry diet to your cat? Okay, so when you feed wet and dry, we usually refer to that as mixed feeding. Mm -hmm. Um, Cats are quite different from dogs in the sense that they are very particular about their water source, so they become dehydrated much more easily than a dog does. Um, Dogs have a tendency to go stick their head in a bowl, consume a large amount of water at one time, whereas cats prefer moving water over still water. And so it's important that they get a lot of hydration from their diet. Um, You can imagine a cat eating uh, wild animals or mice or something like that. There's going to be a high water content in the muscle of those animals that they're consuming. So that is why we encourage mixed feeding. Um, You can actually increase their hydration status quite a bit by um, feeding moist food. But we also recommend the dry food because they do um, benefit from the hardness of this food. It actually has quite a few dental benefits um, and it cleans off some of that tartar through mechanical abrasion. Yes, and we we were just talking earlier on about Dental Month being in August for, for our pets and the importance of making sure that their dental health is in good order. Yeah, dental health is very, very important because a lot of people don't understand that it's also linked to cardiac health. So the same bacteria which live inside the mouth can enter the bloodstream and lodge on the valves of the heart, weakening them over time, causing a heart murmur. So by looking after their teeth, you're essentially looking after their heart as well. Wow. Now, when I say in the industry, we call it wet food, but can you describe what the wet food is that we can feed our cats? 
Well, generally, um, it's either your canned or your tin food. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, it's also in, in a pouch. And really, that just comes down to consumer preference, um, whatever's easiest for the owner of the animal to feed. Um, many of those are very tasty and, and taste-oriented. Um, so you'll see a lot of variety out there, all different flavors of fish and chicken and and beef. And mainly that comes down to what the cat prefers as well as what the owner uh, perceives that the cat prefers. Now, there are times in a household I get customers saying, oh, you know, the, the dog eats the cat food and they, you know, eat each other's food and all that kind of stuff. But is there a difference between the nutritional value in cat food as opposed to dog food? Yes, there is actually quite a large difference. Um, so cats are obligate carnivores, meaning that they're a true carnivore, whereas dogs, although they're categorized as carnivores, they're more on the omnivore scale. Um, so that means that dogs can eat a variety of different uh, plants and starch-type materials as well as meat, whereas cats need meat daily. Mm. That's because they don't produce taurine, and taurine is an essential amino acid that um, aids in eye development and heart health. So it's important that you feed cat food to the cat um, because all cat foods uh, on the market today will always contain some level of taurine. And dogs, while they wouldn't be negatively affected by consuming cat food, um, it's important that they stick to their own nutritional uh, needs as well. When... Sometimes in the store as well, we get customers coming in asking for what's called a prescription diet um, uh, when it comes to to food, which is a prescription diet. And we let them know, I'm sorry, we can't get that. That's only available through your vet. What is the difference with a prescription diet as to the normal pet or cat food that's sold in the pet store? Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that. I actually get this question quite often from owners. Um, Firstly, it, the reason why pet stores can't stock the prescription diets, um, they're only available to veterinarians, is because someone with formal training really needs to make that initial diagnosis. And even though some pet store owners have been in the industry for quite a while and have a lot of experience, they may not have access to the proper tools and equipment to make an accurate diagnosis. Mm. Um And secondly, it's important to monitor the animal's condition over time uh, and make any changes necessary. So that's mainly why prescription diets available to vets only. What what kind of diseases are out there that there are prescription diets for? Uh, Well, there's prescription diets for pretty much every disease that you can imagine. Nutrition is very, very powerful. Um, Everything from renal disease, which would be like kidney failure, to pancreatic disease or gastrointestinal disease, one of the most common ones would probably be your allergies. Um, There's quite a few itchy dogs out there that suffer from ear problems and chewing their feet. So that's probably the most common prescription diet that we have. Um, Another common one on on the topic of dental months would be a prescription dental formula. Although there are many uh, different brands that provide dental benefits, there there are a few prescription ones out there as well. There, are, there is in the industry even available through 
through pet stores, though, uh, non-prescription diets, which are like hairball, weight loss, dental, as we talked about, even senior formulations. Broadly speaking, what's the difference between those kind of formulations to your standard cat food? Okay, so generally, um, when you start getting into claims such as hairball formula, you're speaking about your super premium type food. So they have everything necessary to maintain a healthy cat or dog, um, but then they also have these extra ingredients, which we can call additives. And based on what additives are in that formulation, uh, it allows for special claims on the packaging. So, for example, for hairball, there might be psyllium, which is just a very good source of fiber, which helps move the hairballs through the intestinal tract, yes. or um, slippery elm bark, or even beet pulp. Yeah. Okay. And... Uh I guess with all those different ranges available, why should people look at spending that little bit more money and getting what we call super premium, that better quality cat food, as opposed to the cheaper end of the cat food? Well, you certainly get what you pay for. Um, Paying that little bit extra, you're going to be paying for higher quality ingredients, um, as well as providing a higher digestibility for your pet. So that means that in turn, over time, you'll actually feed less of the food because they get more nutrition out of the food that you're feeding. So you can decrease the amount. And when you work it out dollar per day, it, it generally works out to be almost the same as feeding a lower cost food because you have to feed a much higher quantity of that cheaper brand. But in the end, you're actually feeding a, a, a better food in terms of more nutrition, which is important for a healthier lifestyle. Yes, it definitely mm. is. And especially for brain development of puppies, because now there's even research out showing that if puppies are fed a very high-quality diet, that it can have effects years and years later to slow the, the changes that we see in older pets similar to humans. Um, with diseases like dementia. Wow. Kelly, thank you very much for for your time and uh, for all that great information about feline nutrition. Kelly Hicks, uh, our special guest today on Pet Chat. It's 26 to 1, and thank you, Danny Boss. This is Pet Chat, and we are taking your calls, 49216216. Sue from Katara, you've got a question for our Pet Vet team. Oh, yes, I do. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to ask about my cat. She's Mm -hmm. nine years old. She's long-haired, but she's got quite dry skin at the moment. It looks a little bit like dandruff. I was just wondering if there's something I could either add to her diet or if you had any Mm. ideas about it. And is she itching or pulling out the hair, Sue? No, she's not. No? Okay. Um, Sometimes we do see changes that can be diet responsive cats are probably um, we have to make sure that there's certainly no parasites and the the difficulty with cats is that they're so good at self-grooming that you're probably never going to see for instance if there's a flea there or something you're never going to see that Um, but in general the changes that we see where the skin becomes dry and sometimes flaky um, is a, is what we call a type of seborrhea, and that is basically is a non-specific reaction that the skin has, and it may well mean that we're missing something in the diet. So there are some supplements that you can use, and um, there are along the lines of a um, 
a fish oil base with a, sometimes they contain a zinc so, uh, a zinc supplement and a sulfur supplement as well and all of those things go into producing uh, better health for the skin um, there's also some cats although we don't tend to do it that often but some cats sometimes need to be bathed she, as well yeah she does have i take it to the groomer she yep. gets bathed but only do it in summer i get it bathed yep. and clipped yeah okay um usually i would i would look at a diet uh, you know we've been talking about that today feline yes, nutrition I, heard, I was listening but i didn't hear her say anything about the dry skin yeah, it's more the end result. So there's, there often has to be a trigger for that, but certainly diet can be helpful. And if you speak with uh, good pet stores or vets, yeah. they will have some supplements that you can use. And it's just a simple matter of including that, mixing it into the food. Uh, there are doses that, you know, too much is going to cause some tummy upsets, um, you know, getting the dose right. But overall, you'll probably find that will be quite helpful. So if you have a chat to, with your vet or the local pet store, I'm sure they'll be able to get you onto a supplement there. Good luck with that, Sue. Gary's rung in too on 49216216. He's from Warners Bay. And what's your question, Gary? Uh, we just purchased a um, rainbow lorikeet. Yep. Um, $250. It's a good one then. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've just got a few inquiries. How do you tell the sex of them? Rainbow lorikeets. <laughs> <laughs> mm. DNA sexing. Um, yeah, well, a lot of them. So what we what we tend to see in parrots is that, and I'm going to speak generally because I'm just not, I can't recall the details, but um, with a lot of parrot birds, we have this thing called sexual dimorphism. And then other birds, uh, it's basically monomorphism, where they just look the same. There might be minor differences. For instance, like the eye colour. Oh, right. Okay. Sometimes it's the colour in some feathers on the bird. Sometimes it's the colour over the beak. For instance, with budgerigars, we know that a male bird generally will have a, what we call the sear, which is where the nostrils are. It will be blue. Oh, and in, yeah. in the female bird, it's a, a brown colour. And... Um, Interestingly, when we see male previously where it was blue and it turns brown in a male budgie, that can actually indicate that they've got a uh, tumour producing oestrogen in their body. So um, there are these species differences and it's different. And for, for, for every bird, it's going to be different. Now, my recollection for lorikeets is I think, yeah, I, I think you need feather sexing and um, DNA yeah, sexing. We've there are some people who could tell you from an early age... Hmm. What the, what the sex is. Now, if it's an adult bird, uh, they tend to breed in winter, okay? So if you had an adult bird and you've had them for a year or two, uh, obviously if they lay an egg, they're female, mm. okay? But, yeah. if, but then again, if they don't lay an egg, doesn't mean they're a male. Because it mm. might be diet, it might be stress, it might. there's a whole lot of reasons why. We've, oh. we've had this one about six weeks, and we're supposed to be about... Uh, 10 weeks old when we got him. Okay. Yeah. Well, depending on what advice they've given you, but you can actually have, have uh, some samples sent away and get the feather testing done and they'll be able to tell you the sex. And there's a couple of um, uh, people in terms of bird vets who'd be able to advise you the best option there. But mm. it's, a, it's a simple matter of um, sending some samples away and getting and, the sex done. And while you think, oh, DNA sexing, how much is that going to cost? It's actually not that dear either. 
No. It's not really worth it, is it? <laughs> well, unless you're breeding, I would have yeah. said no. I, I wouldn't bother too much anyway. Or you were particular about what kind of name to give the bird. <laughs> yeah, right. well, my granddaughter thought of Charlie. <laughs> yes. Well, there you go. That's a good one. Yeah. And Linda's rung in from Markwell. You've got a question? Um, yes. Um, I just wanted to uh, talk about my cat. He's mm-hmm. uh, ten years, about 10 years old and um, we're on a farm and he has uh, a form of cancer and uh, he doesn't look like he's interested in <laughs> passing away. He's um, hang- just hanging on. Um, and I've been what, uh, Linda, what type of cancer has he been diagnosed with? He was given a, an X-ray on the 29th of April um, and uh, it's a, a tumour in... It was in both nostrils Oh, okay. Nasal passages and in yep. the roof of his mouth. Right. Okay. And he's gone through various stages since then. I haven't had him back to the vent since then. He's um, um, well, when he was under under the anaesthetic, mm. she rang me um, and even asked if she'd wake him up. Yes. Yes. Um, He'd been on antibiotics for about mm, a month or six weeks before that, mm. before we knew what was wrong. Mm. Um, and I've been giving him um, uh, under my own uh, uh, advice um, a colloidal silver with his food. Mm. Um, from from when he had his X-ray, I had to take him to yep. Gloucester, yep. and he wasn't. Uh, yeah, very happy about that. And and had a, so how's he? How's he going now? Um, well, one mistake I made, which I didn't know about, was he stopped eating for ten days after his visit to the vet. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think he was sort of frightened of what might be in his food when he discovered tablets in it at mm-hmm. some stage. But anyway, he's um, the last uh, and if he'd had was the Vibravet paste, which yep. he could tolerate. Yes. Um, he's, uh, he's quite um, okay. Oh, yes, and I gave him... I was feeding him liver. That was the only thing he would eat, and I didn't realise that it was poisonous to well, eat only liver. Yeah, not, it, yeah not, so, not so much in those circumstances. It's really when it's fed longer term, like over a year or so. I mean, well, I, cer- I, I certainly wouldn't count it as a, a complete diet. But we're no, wor- well, worried it's about. It to affect his. Yes. I think it has affected his bones. I think it's important that you make make sure he keeps. That. Yeah, make sure he keeps eating. Uh, there's three things that we say about cancer patients, and look, the cancer in the mouth and the nose like that is is not a good situation. But the three things I always say to people is: first of all, we want to keep them out of pain. That's yes. number one. Second thing is, we don't want them to be vomiting. Yes. And the third thing is, we want them to keep eating. Right. And, and when we start to have problems in those areas, then we're really to start to talk about, you know, depending on whatever treatment plan we're following, we really start to talk about quality of life because in terms of, you know, pet, if, if they're going, cats are very sensitive. If they can't smell their food, they won't eat it. And combined with that, there may be some oral pain as well. So you have to be a little bit careful about interpreting when he does stop eating, 
is it because you know oh well he's not happy about the medication but it also could be the systemic effect of the cancer or is it related to pain and obviously you would want to address those things when they arise um, yes. and yes. the problem is where that cancer is is that it it's going it's going to have early effects in terms of once it starts to progress okay is that the effects of cancer and when it causes problems is how it affects their day-to-day functioning and that's true whether it's cancer anywhere in the body is what's it doing day-to-day and how's it affecting the function of the organs that it's involved in so in the mouth they're going to stop eating and that's that's when we really have to ask those questions and there are palliative measures that can be used in terms of changing the feeding practice and some medications to help uh, but I think overall if you've been able to provide some degree of comfort for him for this period of time I think that's fantastic and if he's looking bright and happy when he can that's great but I'd certainly be working very closely with your vet because medications and feeding and ultimately as you said like making that final decision before he progresses too far I think is a, it's a very special decision for you and your pet. Thank you, Linda, for your call. And uh, Nisha has rung in now from Duckenfield. You've got a question, Nisha? Yes, please. I don't know if they can help me or not, but I have a problem with a wild bird. Mm-hmm. I have been told it's called a kite. Yep. And it keeps nesting around my house. At first it was on the sensor light and at least it's deposit there <laughs> everywhere. And then I managed to rig up a thing to stop it there and then it was on a down pipe that goes sort of across right angle to the house but underneath the eaves. Now, Nisha, how big is this bird? Well, this is, I think, only a smaller version because there's bigger ones of them around. So I'd say it's only a baby one Mm, because it's... But now I've stopped it nesting there and it's moved out onto the wires at the front that go into the house. Now, I can't do anything about Mm. that and it's got me a bit worried. What can I do? Well, there's a couple of things at play. First of all is we don't want the house to burn down. No. Okay, so certainly probably even a phone call to an electrician just to make sure and say, okay, well, if they do this, what's going to happen and so on. The second thing is that um, depending on the species, um, you're allowed to do certain things, but I think if there's risk to harm of people, then you can have the bird moved on and I would speak with the local government or the Department of Primary Industries or actually... No, scrub that. National Parks and Wildlife. I've tried to get on to them, but it's a bit hard to get the right number that you need because sure. you keep getting told, press this button, press <laughs> that button, and you know, and you just—it's really hard to get on to them. Yeah, look, you might even find that an email contact might work a bit better for you. The other thing is that I was going to say is I'm just not sure about the species because if it's an if it's an, uh, a native bird, then there's certain laws related to that. But if it's a pest species. And a kite doesn't sound like a bird that we'd be nesting in those areas. So I think that's another question as well. And perhaps a photograph might help to attach to your email because then they'd be able to give you better uh, advice about what to do with that bird. So Sounds like a good uh, detective chase. And that brings mm. Pet Chat to the end today. We'll be back next Wednesday after the midday news. Thank you, David Tabbert. Thanks, Jane. Thank you, Danny Bott. Thank you, Jane. And thank you if you called in. To a new RFM's pet chat.